Hello there and welcome to this month's big interview from the Irishman abroad. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jennifer Cassidy. Jennifer is an Irish author, diplomatic consultant and international development specialist. Among many other things, she has served as a political attaché to Ireland's permanent mission to the United Nations, the European External Action Service, the Kingdom of Cambodia and Ireland's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade during its 2013 presidency of the Council of the European Union. But you may know her from her ridiculously on-point output on Twitter or from the contributions she's made to discussions on all manner of huge TV and radio shows over the last few years. Today we find her at Oxford University where she lectures and teaches. She's in the middle of correcting papers. There really has never been a better time to have Dr. Jennifer Cassidy on the show. So I did my level best to get into as much current stuff as possible while also delving back into her surprising origin story. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Dr. Jennifer Cassidy, it is fantastic to have you on Irishman Abroad at last. I didn't know where to start in our conversation, but I guess maybe the best place to start is what you're doing right now in this moment. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so the the primary role that I have as a uh, now diplomatic scholar is well, lecturing and opening up the world to people um, at Oxford, but also right around the UK and, and hopefully uh, around the European Union, um, on the nature of diplomacy, on the role of diplomacy with in our current environment and also hi historically. My primary role as uh, a lecturer, I teach and lecture on the course PPE, which is politics, philosophy, and economics at Oxford. And it currently, and to be fair, rightly so, doesn't have a very good name because many of the uh, reigning prime ministers and ministers in the UK did the course and have done the course. And the Financial Times have written an article about it and it says PPE, the course that ruined the nation. And I have to say, oh yes, I have to say, they bring up some very good points and I give it to my first years every year. And I say, look, read this, read, these are the pitfalls of the course and we are not turning out like this. This is not happening under my watch. Hmm. So that's uh, the PPE course. And then with the, uh, the diplomatic studies program at Oxford, it's a really, really interesting course. And I really enjoy teaching on it. It comprises of around 30 students every year. And these are all mid-career or even later career diplomats from around the world. 
And it's usually 30 different countries that are uh, brought from yeah, ac across the globe uh, to come to Oxford for the year. They take a year out of their foreign ministry and all come together and lecture on, I lecture specifically on international politics, but there's also other lectures on the course like international trade, international finance, um, international law. And yeah, it's a really, really interesting course. So that's it in a nutshell. That's very well. Concise. I guess it is a good way in because you're obviously teaching through discussion and debate and seeing people argue their case, whether it's in person or on their paper. But don't you agree we're really at a very strange time in discourse, in political discourse, and just in general life discourse, where agreement, it's nearly not what people are striving for, mm -hmm. that we've settled into the idea yeah. that we're going to disagree, you'll be on there, on that island, and I'll be on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I could not agree more. And I, so my area of specialty within that diplomacy is digital diplomacy. And that's what I did my PhD on. Now I'm like gone many years ago, but it was when for, um, social media first came about. And I think social media is the real catalyst for this, ex these extremist views. Now, there's of course always been extremist views. That's why one of the reasons we've seen, you know, um, huge like seismic shifts in, in politics, you know, throughout the last hundreds of years, people having these extreme ideologies. But now, as you said, it is, it is like the everyday person and everyone on online and, and it, this spills over to the offline world, but no one is striving towards any agreement. And you just have these really, really strong viewpoints on anything. That's what I find really worrying it's not just it's no longer you know whether okay at the moment we're seeing of course you know with the queen's death now this viewpoint whether she whether the uk should have a monarchy or not yeah they're quite yes or no answers but you're seeing it in just these everyday discussions and it's exhausting i posted the reddit online um the other day and there seems to be no will from anyone to engage and I see it in the classroom all the time, but no will from anyone to engage in the middle ground because it's not, you know, it's not seen as, I don't know, getting your point across or it doesn't seem as the right viewpoint to take if you're just like, well, I respect this view, respect this view, or I agree with this, but, you know, I'm not going to, um, I don't need to, you know, scream until I have no voice left. And yeah, it's quite a worrying trend. It's more than a trend though isn't it because as you say the social media platforms have so much to answer for yeah because essentially they've bent or funneled discussion down two tracks and the more likes and exactly. retweets or follows that one gets the more successful they're viewed i just think it makes me wonder if we're in a kind of a wild west period of online discussion or just tech in general because that kind of power to manipulate dialogue going completely unchecked and resulting in, in people being this disagreeable and essentially changing politics in the space of a very short yeah. period of time it, it's it's 
a trend is it seems like a really small word to yeah, describe yeah, what's and, happening yeah uh, no and um i'm used to saying trend because it was a trend when i was writing the, the phd but you're right it's quite ingrained now in our society and if you look on twitter which has affected and that's my you know area of expertise which has affected politics it's not just like this is a day-to-day kind of citizen reaction politicians play into this extreme reaction they know they have to be popular on these forums to win Mm -hmm. they know they need to play into these extremist views no matter whether they're extreme left or extreme right i'm not saying i'm not falling on any side here but then they're they're um elected and you know we see on twitter that it's even if people write threads you know everyone just kind of looks at the first first tweet and then, you know, it take a long time to read a thread if someone's getting a more nuanced argument and they're saying, you know, they'll put out the kind of very flashy and very extreme message first. And then you read, and I have done this myself, I'm not saying I haven't done it, you know, then you read under it and it's maybe a bit more nuanced and nuanced, but not everyone reads these threads and the, the, the threads don't always exist. So you just have these sound bites from everyone, you know, including myself, but you have these sound bites on people's views and then people replying, either agreeing or disagreeing. And then it just gets into these extreme arguments. Like look at the one example that I'll just give in the last few days is that anytime I put anything about the Queen's death online, I've actually deleted a lot of them. And I haven't put that many at all, like I'd say three or four times in the last week. Because people would read into what I'm saying. Uh, These weren't extreme things I was in any way. I just said I paid like a respect to the Queen. Yeah, not not as my ruler in any respect. I think we all, I think we can all, Mm -hmm. anyone bothers me. I think we know that I am in no way um, a monarchist or, yeah. Uh, the the whole colonization narrative i'm i would be you know very much respectful of and yeah i won't even go into that now but uh, people know my w- yeah if people want, follow I, you they understand where yeah you, exactly where you're positioned yeah but uh, so but i put as you know as a i just put up a thing saying i think it was even something very bland like announcing her death because it was the moment and immediately under people saying, this is, you know, how dare you say this, you're Irish, or then underneath, just, I can't even remember what it was, but it just went completely divisive. And it was something as bland as announcing the death, really. Mm. And I just deleted it. And I was like, you know what, I, <laughs> there's one thing where I tweet about Brexit and the anti-Irish rhetoric that the UK Parliament have said, and I'm fully willing to, willing to stand behind that. I didn't. I'd never delete anything like that, and so I'd I'd very much keep anything like that up. But I was like, you know what? I do not care about the monarchy this much to have anything like this on my page, <laughs> and yeah. so I deleted it. I was like, I don't have the time to be. I don't want any argument with the monarchy. They're not part of my life, and if paying a respect or in any way is going to call divisive, you know what? It, I'm deleting it, but the fact that it was so divisive, such a bland tweet, is exhausting. It is, and you can't always, in that moment, get to the point of pulling back the lens to see mm-hmm. these people that are reacting in this way are a product of everything that you've written about, 
of the things that we've just spoken about, the the funneling of the dialogue and the kind of manipulation of people's behavior towards yeah. shouting at each other rather than talking to each other. Yeah. But when people say, people will say, wow, Jesus, was, this was always the case. Some people didn't read the article, they'd read the headline. And then yeah. they'd go down the pub and they'd shout at each other about it. And you go, did you actually read the article? And then eventually it would emerge, your man didn't read it mm-hmm. and people would ignore him. This is like, what's the difference? And how, how is, and when I mentioned the Wild West of this text stuff, it, are we just talking about an unregulated algorithm that gets called an algorithm, but it's an algorithm that is dangerous, has dangerous implications. And just from you posting a picture of a a queen on a plate saying the queen has passed, uh, can produce this level of vitriol. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of can't find the words sometimes to identify why are we blaming these platforms? Like, is it the algorithm that is designed to generate cash for them that is at the center of it? Or is there something else that is harder to talk about without heading into Illuminati territory? Well, I, I know, I'd like to say I know, I don't know. I think we could say that, so one, one of the points I always say about technology or social media and this goes back to your point about, you know, not reading the head or just reading the headline, not reading the article, going down to the pub. Now, what we're seeing now in technology and discourse and, um, you know, uh, the ability to debate or the lack of ability to debate is just an evolution of technology's impact on, on discourse and debate and not a revolution. Now, it's an evolution okay. in the sense that... The speed at which the technology plays a role, the pace at which it and the reach is unrecognizable, unsound, not unsounded, but unrecognizable. And the, and the impact of it is something that we've never, ever seen before. But you could arguably say that the people who were reading papers 20, 30 years ago those papers had an algorithm of sorts. They were either more right-wing or more left-wing. The mm. people would buy into them. And the people would still, as you said, you know, read the headline and not read the, the article and then go down to the, to the pub and have a fight. And was, all those stages are the exact same stages that you see on social media. And the alg- you could arguably say, as I said, the algorithm is people know that they're publishing a right wing or a left wing or you know they're playing into who they know their audience is these are everything we see on these on these platforms but it's just the pace and the scale and the reach that is far greater and with that the impact is far greater and the consequences are far greater so i'm not in any way underplaying that but it is i went into my research which would which would have been began 2013 now there was nothing written on technology's impact on diplomacy or, or politics because it for these things to get published in academic journals they take like four or five years like big big books okay um, so and when I was at the UN and in the in the EU and in in Cambodia you weren't allowed to use Twitter or Facebook in the whole they were banned you weren't allowed to use them and so everyone was using them outside of the halls no one was using it inside of the hall but 
the I remember sitting like in the UN General Assembly thinking there's no way this isn't going to come into the hall in a few years. There's at, it was so pervasive outside of the mm. UN buildings. But so I went into my, my research and study thinking, oh, this is a revolution. Like I am going to blow this research out of the field. Like everyone's going to, you know, this is going to be so impactful. Like, you know, opening the doors for myself being like, get ready world. But then by the time I finished it, I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. No, that is not the case at all. This, I just realized what I've researched and what I've, you know, began this study on is this is just an evolution of uh, politics and diplomacy and, and, and discourse and, and technology and, and not, a, um, not a revolution. And one of the big quotes I always say is so when Lord Palmerston, who would have been the British Foreign Secretary in 1845, when he received his first telegram, his quote was, by God, this is the end of diplomacy. That's because he had to reply to the telegram within a month. And <sighs> yeah, exact. And there is, a, yeah, so that is just, and those quotes are, I'd say I had around, no one would want to read it, including myself, and they're my own words. But, you know, up to 10,000 words on this historical aspect. And the, his quote is one of thousands of diplomats who were all lamenting having to reply to things within a month and then you had the television, then you had, and then you had the radio, then you had the television, you had the fax machine. And with every single development, you had the exact same rhetoric that you're having with social media, the exact mm. same. Um, and so he was complaining that you only had a month to, re month to reply. And he's like, you know, we're losing the ability to reflect. We're losing this. If I have to reply within a month, how am I ever going to get all my sources together and reply? So this kind of mindset has always, always been around. Mm. And it is no different to social media. But as I, and I will always go back to the point, the scale and reach and pace is something that we never, you know, we've not never seen before. You've I have so much to talk to you about, Jennifer. And I always remind people that there's an extended version of our conversation available to our supporters over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. But in this first half of our chat, I really want to dig into some of the things that you've spoken about in the past, such as, you know, this need for a day of reckoning or pardoning in the United States of America. And that is something that I worried about the second I saw President Joe Biden stand up and say that it is a them versus us war for the soul of the United States of America. Did you watch that and think, oh, this is definitely reckoning and not pardoning? Yes. You know, I I was, this is my, even my fear of saying, speaking about like, oh, who I would go for <laughs> Trump or, or Biden, I have this fear and this is talking about, you know, the extreme views of even saying it out loud because I just know, you know, everyone has their own viewpoints on it, but I should just get over that. <laughs> the, my, I was, I was really glad that Trump wasn't elected, re-elected, like extremely glad. But then when I saw that speech, I have to say, I don't have a, I'm still working on what I think about this and if I was a leader how I would go about this so when I when I'm talking about this now I'm in no way saying that this is 
the viewpoint. That, yeah, yeah, no way. Like it's something that I'm working working through. Which is whether so, I, it's whether, so funny that, that that this is a novel idea that yeah. somebody is working through their well, thoughts no, exactly, on no, You're spot on. Like it's exactly that. The fact that I have a fear of having to say, "Oh, I'm working through it." This is not, you know, this should just be the normal go to. <laughs> That you are I not etching a, these in stone tablets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> were like, you or were you not the woman who said? <laughs> exactly. Like that I have to qualify my thoughts of that I don't know exactly what the President of the United States should do. Like that should be the yeah, fallback. And that I may that think be. something else later. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you can, I'm sure you can he uh, like hear the hesitation in my voice on speaking about these, but I think that's, that in itself is a testament to, all, to what we're speaking about. But with all that said, what I'm currently thinking on it is that he, while there was so much, you know, backlash, and I have to say rightfully so regarding the way Trump spoke about pretty much everyone in America, anyone that stood against him, or even if they didn't suit him or weren't going to help him in his election, he didn't really care about. You know, so there was a huge amount of backlash on that, and Biden was capitalizing on it. And I don't know whether I would have had the, you know, after such a long campaign fighting against him and, you know, being elected by everyone who was pretty much voting for not Trump whether I would have had the kind of uh, moral compass to stand up and have this pardoning and being able to rise above it. I would hope I would have had, but you know, who, if you're, if you're up there and uh, in that moment, but he definitely gave it more of, you know, we have the reins now and it's our turn and it's our turn to rule. We've had enough of this, but ultimately, you know, we've seen it in the in the peace process here. We've seen it in peace processes um, around the world, in, you know, in, in, in other places. If you ultimately want the goal of reconciliation, you saw in South Africa, and if you ultimately wanted a peace, you do have to reach out to the other side. You do have to respect the other, no matter how much they have hurt, hurt you. And, you know, we have seen people reconcile over way more than not liking someone's political views. Way, way more. And in the US, mm. in the US, yes, there was extreme rhetoric on both sides. Yes, Trump was a politician like we never saw before. But we have seen, look at South Africa. Look at when Berlin, um, the wall came down. We've seen a lot more being done to people and they've reconciled. So ultimately, yes, but that yeah, takes time. Right, exactly. That, and time is the thing that you can't really predict on uh, yeah, how long yeah. it would take to get to that place, yeah. particularly yeah. having grown up in Ireland. We know this. Yeah. That when the time arrives, you only know it once it's there. Yeah. You I can't force it. Like, yeah. And I wonder if, you know, the situation, the reason why people feel such despondence and near just as general malaise and fear in the world at the moment is there's a consciousness somewhere in all of us that this is all only going one way yes. and that uh, there'll nearly need to be you know scorched earth for yes. there to be a reaching out and when we talk about the social media platforms on which our children are now existing mm -hmm. that 
people that are being raised and the shifts that we're seeing in dialogue uh, are so far away from concluding or reaching a point at which everyone can agree that was all a bit crazy yeah. for a time. When I saw Joe Biden stand up and say that, I did start to think, based on you, you know things you've said, that we're a long way off pardoning yep. and that these people that are predicting a civil war in America might not be far off it. Yeah. It, I, that's, you, you know, we take it from there. I don't know how to end no, a lot of these questions, yeah, Jennifer. No, no, because, no, it's a, and it goes back to the kind of like the, the point we were saying about the, the questions can't be ended because there's no, you know, we're still thinking this out. There's not really a definitive answer or even questions regarding like what is happening at the moment but one point that you re that you raised there which i think is both worrying and extremely necessary to discuss is that we are in no way near an end to what the impact of this is no way as we've i don't even think we've even reached the pinnacle or the top of what's going to going to come because Particularly, you know, as I mentioned in the in the U.S., they haven't seen, and I would not wish them on this on them, but they haven't seen it like other countries have seen this divisive regarding the outcome of it in terms of war. Now, the closest we got to see it, and I'll never forget witnessing it, was the insurrection. I'll never, I, I remember watching it live, um, them being them swearing him in, um, the you know Joe Biden and just seeing the crowds head into um, the Capitol and then... Oh, yeah, so it wasn't actually at the swearing in, but it was, you know, oh, the, the, them attempting to count yeah, sorry, the yeah, uh, moment, not electoral moment. college votes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And them breaking down the barriers and, you know, just entering the... I'll, yeah, I'll never forget watch, watching it live on screen, but that was the closest they got, and that's close enough, as many people would, I think, agree, to this... Uh, you know, notion of civil war, but I would not say we would, um, and I could certainly be wrong, more than wrong, but we'll see Joe Biden as the concluder in all this. You know, he's not, I'd say we're just going to see him as either a breeder, and for some people he's not a breeder, he's, you know, everything they stand against. But I would, I would view him as someone who wouldn't put, who hasn't pushed that really, uh, yeah, awful, uh, strong discriminatory rhetoric that you know Trump pushed. But look, we we see we see the rise in uh, DeSantis in Florida, possibility of Trump running. I really don't think he he's going to end it. And look at the UK, look at Brazil, Hungary. This this, and all like the phrase is strongman politics, but you know, people would say you know it's not it's not just men. I'm sure it's mm. not just men. I'm sure, there's other sure. examples. It's, it, but but it's also moment, just a phrase, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's just. And again, I'm worried about like, oh, I'm saying strong. <laughs> no, I have heard you say this that your fear of becoming a meme. No, uh, was no it is one of my your mind going on news night for the first time. Fears to become a meme. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we all we all fear it. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. You don't yeah. even need to be well known to become a meme. You can be a crying lady in a supermarket and yeah. become. Uh, internet famous. Yeah. Um. You you've done an incredible amount in such a short period of time, Jennifer. Relatively speaking, as you mentioned, from um 
the UN in New York, uh, European External Action Service uh, uh, to the Kingdom of Cambodia, Ireland's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade during the 2013 presidency of the Council of the European Union. Yet, it could all have been so different. Mm-hmm. Had you not gotten injured mm-hmm. as a violinist, yeah. do you ever reflect on that? Or can you explain to our listeners exactly how close uh, Dr. Jennifer Cassidy came to having uh, a successful career as a musician prior to all of this? Well, I, the, I know always people say, how on earth did you get injured as a violinist? Like that violinist <laughs> can't get injured. Like that's ridiculous. Considering I never once, I've never once played a sporting match in my entire life. I've never I've been on any sporting team ever. And so, yeah, for me to save an injury, I still know people that I went to secondary school with, like, sorry, you have an injury? Like, how is this possible? But it was, the injury came and it still hurts to this day. It's still, I still go to someone once a week from my back. It's just complete overuse of the back from, from, too much practice if that i'm sure my violent teacher would disagree that there's such a thing as too much practice but um yeah the 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 aspect that there uh it was just a complete overuse of muscles but no my so my sister i was in music school in in ireland uh, my entire family are musicians i essentially there was no other avenue for me other than being a musician i never considered anything to do with academia um i wasn't I, we don't like to say in my household that I was um, kicked out of my primary school <laughs> in, in, in Dublin. And I'm very, I'm more than able to, I'm more than willing to say this on, on um, openly and publicly, but we like to say that I was asked to leave at night. I did not get on with the nuns. Yeah. And I don't mind talking about this at all. Was it only nine? Yeah. was the major disagreement? Yeah. I still maintain my innocence. I just... Oh, I, it was, oh yeah, I won't, of course, name the school, um, mm. or it was, oh no, I just didn't know. My sister got on fine in that school, but it, it, all to say, oh my God, I had my disagreements in secondary school, but I loved secondary school, but I was not, no way was academia calling me in any respects, nor was I calling it. Why not come on over to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad to hear the second half of this discussion with Dr. Jennifer Cassidy. There's a further 40 minutes where we get the chance to talk in depth about how much of a handful she was at school, the role mentors have played in her life, the key piece of advice she would give all those struggling in school, her rise to prominence on Twitter and the times where she has found the responses to her tweets overwhelming. There's also a mortifying story of working in the UN and getting stared down by Robert Mugabe and exactly why at the UN she was disabused of any notion that the people working there should be placed on a pedestal. We do get into the new British government, Liz Truss, Jacob Rees-Mogg and all the different characters. There's an awful lot to enjoy over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. We are back. Honey, you're ruining our kid. The parenting podcast from the Irishman Abroad Podcast Network with me, Charlotte Regan, and our resident child behaviour professional, Tina Regan, having a mare with our three and a half year old and the current tantrums. Children are naturally in a phase of high order at this time. When they're going through that, even carrying your coat over your arm rather than wearing it can make a child that age 
tantrum. We have an almost four-year-old who finds it hard to sit still, to hold hands, to walk with us, to just comply with simple things. The most important one is making sure that that child knows what's expected of them, that there are rules, that I am here to keep you safe. That's my job as your parent is I am here to keep you safe. My top question at the moment is how to toilet train a two, almost three-year-old who couldn't care less <laughs> about the toilet. I love that. Show them the nappies. You used to wear nappies, now you wear pants. The wee has to go in the toilet now, so does the poo. The pants won't protect you from that. The nappies are gone. Presented by the legends at Go Loud. Honey, you're ruining our kid episode two is out now everywhere you get good podcasts. Because let's face it, it's not easy raising our kids not to be gobshites.